Hi, and welcome to the Everywhere Podcast. We're a global community of founders and operators who've come together to support the next generation of builders. So the premise of the podcast is just that, founders interviewing other founders about the trials and tribulations of building a company. Hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, I'm Anna Barber. I'm a partner at M13, an LA-based venture capital fund investing at Series A in the future of consumer behavior across health, commerce, the future of work, and fintech. I'm also an LP in Everywhere VC and a very fortunate investor in Flick Play. And I'm excited to be here in conversation today with Pierina Marino, the CEO and founder of Flick Play. Thank you for having me. So excited to be here. Tell us a little bit about you first. So, so Purina, you know, I've known you for a while, originally invested in Flick Play a few years ago, very early in your journey. And it's been just so terrific getting to know you over the past few years and watching this creative company that you've built. But you started your career in a very different place as an architect. So can you tell a little bit about your origin story and how you came to found Flick Play? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been working at the intersection of design and technology for the last 10 years. And I I do think that if I look back at what's been the common thread among every venture or or project that I've been a part of has been my passion for evolving human experiences and for pushing the boundaries of the possibilities uh, of achieving so. And because of that, I started my career as an architect for Frank Gehry, designing massive scale architectural projects. And as the VR space started to commercialize, Oculus got acquired by Facebook. I was part of Frank Gehry's office designing Facebook offices. And from outside, I was kind of like involved in the inside of seeing the the evolution of technology and, and where, where things were heading. And I started to see VR as that second medium to continue to amplify human experiences. And that was my transition from architecture into being fully involved in the technology space. Fast forward to that, launched my first company that was a 3D printed product line, got my 101 in entrepreneurship, taking a product to market, selling in over 30 stores nationally with Nordstrom, and and realizing the massive consumer shift that was happening in an offline experience driven by the desire of people building their digital identities and how millions of people were running the streets capturing a Pokemon we had hundreds of thousands of people lining out outside experiential pop-ups to be able to create shareable stories. And at the same time, we start to see kids using their identity from games like Fortnite beyond their that ecosystem and penetrating though the, their identity from the games within TikTok and Instagram. So I would say that my background and and kind of like a lot of the evolution of social have driven a lot of my interest. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like you've always been a little bit ahead of the curve in terms of technology, seeing that VR was going to happen and was going to be important before it really took off. And then really AR. So Pokemon Go was really the advent of AR and you saw the potential of that. Uh, and the way that that technology was creating social experiences and allowing people to connect their digital identity with what they were doing in the kind of physical world. So you were ahead of the curve on that. 
Um, and then really, honestly, you were doing a Web3 company before Web3 was, you know, even had a name. So can you tell us a little bit about today what Flick Play has evolved into? I know to that to that comment, actually, because it's kind of funny. And I need to call out my investor, Tommy, on this podcast, because he tells me at some point you're going to you have to say it somewhere, because I remember when I was raising Actually, the, my second round, which was the one that you invested on, one of my investors from that round told me, have you thought about crypto and ways to introduce crypto within your platform? And I remember calling an advisor and asking him, I don't really know what to answer. I don't know what he means. But I think that he got early the whole idea I mean, we were more involved in the Web3 space, not much on the cryptocurrency aspect of it yet, but he got early the idea around ownership and how since early on, we were thinking about these digital experiences as something that people own and that that was a big part of the value of the platform rather than most investors in the ecosystem never thought about the top of the funnel of a social platform being converting users by having them purchase something because social has always been driven by uh, advertising models and not by commerce driven models. So it, it's actually pretty interesting how early on, like we couldn't put really the dots together as to how we would get where we are, but there was a very aligned vision around how digital ownership and access to digital experiences was going to drive part of how people will build their social graph. But anyways, like as, that kind of like background aside, Flickly is a consumer platform that powers the commerce and experience layer for digital toys in the real world. We're partnering with some of the biggest media companies in the world to distribute, sell their digital toys in real world locations and enable a platform where people can not only access digital toys from the IPs that they love in locations that they like spending time at or that they're visiting, but also bringing communities of fans together and enabling them to engage with each other in the platform. What I find so compelling and have always really loved about your vision is this idea of bringing the real world and social media and kind of people's social graphs together to encourage people to go out and you know, bring those experiences into the real world. And then the third leg of the stool, as it were, to your model is these great brand partnerships, you know, just to put a point on what you just said about digital toys. So one of the things that I think is so interesting is that you've really landed on this brand and this kind of go-to-market strategy that's about, you know, digital collectibles and toys, which I think is really interesting. So who are some of your key partners? I know you're working with some like big brand name partners to execute this. So tell us a little bit about those partnerships to the extent you can. Yeah, so everything is confidential still because we're waiting for the big release and announcement <laughs> from each of them. Okay, so don't tell us then. <laughs> But I do think that it was really—it's been a very uh, exciting journey to see how media companies are shifting their perspective around IP only being driven and controlled by the experiences that they create and the content they push uh, out, and digital objects starting to become toys. 
the same way physical ones are that consumers control and build stories with independently from the stories of media companies. So uh, a lot of announcements coming up very soon. So I don't want to spoil that, nor I want to be killed through a call after the podcast releases. So Fair but, enough. Fair but, enough. Yeah. So do you see Flick Play's main... Is it more of a social network? Is it more of a marketplace for digital toys? Is it both? Yeah. So it's we our top of the funnel is commerce. We we through multiple twists and turns around figuring out what really powers that authentic engagement and connection between people and the Flickly product. We realize that owning something that you can interact with within the platform really powers a massive level of engagement and retention within the ecosystem. So the commerce layers is that really first step in the user journey for people to have something that they love to interact with. I always give the example or the analogy that if you go to a coffee shop and by default, you always in the morning buy coffee, but you're not feeling like coffee this morning. The moment you purchase the coffee, you're going to force yourself to drink it, whether it is in 20 minutes or in the first five hours of the day, right? But you already have that commitment towards a purchase that you make. And we see that through the different pilots that we have run in the ecosystem, when commerce drive the engagement, there is a much rich and authentic experience that is created in the ecosystem. So, but that's just the starting point because we do believe that ownership is bigger than anything that we have seen before and that will drive a lot of how we shape our identity online. The same way at some point, a Facebook and friends button became that moment of connection. The same way the like button on Instagram became that level of connection with other people and validation from as a creator. We we believe that ownership and, and you being able to penetrate yourself into an ecosystem where without creating, without any output, by connecting your wallet, your, your culture and identity starts to come to life, will drive the next generation of consumer products and engagements. And that is still in the works, which is the exciting part of being building at this point. So because you're focused on digital toys, as it were, digital collectibles, but really you're calling them digital toys, which I think is very accurate given who some of your partners are and what some of the IP is that you know I'm already seeing in the app. So it seems like the market for collectibles or for purchasing digital assets, it's starting to fragment a little bit from the perspective of we have marketplaces now focused on fashion, you know, marketplaces focused just on digital art. Right. So do you think we're moving away from these kind of more generalized marketplaces where you could buy NFT, any type of NFT or just, you know, any type of digital asset to these more specialized marketplaces? Yeah. And that do you think that those specialized vertical marketplaces are going to end up kind of winning the market because they're targeted as a specific type of collectible or experience? Yeah, spot on. I, this is the way I think about it. I think like location is culture and culture is identity. We're not going to reinvent the wheel on how people will adopt owning or purchasing things, right? There is a natural instinct towards how we connect with the things that we purchase, whether they are 
fully digitally or within the context of the real world. Uh, the best example is that with globalization, like we, I can buy from Los Angeles a product from Thailand, right? But the product that I buy in Los Angeles from Thailand will be very different than if I go there and I'm in a specific corner and I'm able to purchase something in that physical location. And when you think about the experience from an identity and experience a ledger of me being in that physical location, when I purchase something in the real world, you are connecting the real world experience uh, to the purchase of something that is tied to the culture of that location. And whether I bring that back to Los Angeles or anywhere in the, in the world, you're starting to shape digital identities that are authentic to the experiences that people are truly having and the connection that they have, whether as a souvenir or whether as a utility object in their everyday life. So that too, in, as an introduction to your point around what's going to happen with marketplace, they're going to be still marketplaces that are targeting a global reach, right? And that there is no type of connection to the real world. But we're starting to see, as you say, the horizontalization of everyone thinking about digital assets as a collectible to people thinking about digital assets as product. They're collectibles assets within every product type, but not every product is limited edition and meant to create a scarcity around the access to it because products also have utility. And, and Flickplay is focusing first on digital toys just because we see this natural instinct from um, kids from Roblox creating social content where, with their avatars in YouTube shorts. Like we start to see how people are using their identity with digital characters across social ecosystem because they want to more than interact with their characters, be able to build their social graph in social ecosystems with their digital characters. And Flickplay is the platform that brings it together. However, just like Amazon start with books and after they became the leading marketplace for books, they open new verticals within their marketplace we are planning to do the same. We want to own the digital toys ecosystem, be able to provide the best experience layer for digital toys in the real world. And then we will expand to wearables. We will expand to other verticals that are relevant to our, our user base. Yeah, I was going to say that wearables or fashion seems like, you know, the next logical place for you to go. But, you know, those have other challenges, technical challenges with exactly. them, you know, that that you don't have to solve at this point. So are, are your are your customers or your users behaving as you expected them to behave? Are, are people doing unexpected things inside Flick Play and, and, you know, with the Flick Play app and, you know, digital toys that you weren't expecting? Yeah, we realized really early that a lot of companies that focus on AR technology to power their experience, they, they're constantly developing new layers to make it as seamless as possible, the, the, AI, the digital and physical to come together. And what we realized is that we are going through this content transformation where people are looking for the less 
pixel perfect and more raw story with more identity substance baked into it. So for example, when we launched the first digital toy on Flickplay, the characters wouldn't walk. They just had a pose and an animated animation in look. And we saw users forcing the characters to walk, forcing the characters to fall, like hacking into however our camera worked to be able to storytell. So we naturally evolved the product with new feature sets to enable more creative ways for people to interact with their characters based on those learnings that we were getting of how they were forcing the product to behave, right? But we have never tried to go beyond what our users are already asking us or are showing that they're trying to do within their product because we want to take them through that learning curve. So one one of the big learnings was that early on, we wanted to focus on creating like this very premium experience to create perfect images because in our head we had this Instagram model that everything needs to be perfect and stable and pixel perfect right but what we realize is that this next generation of content it's more about the stories that you're creating with a character is the authenticity of the message that puts a smile on the people watching the content. So we're focusing more in self-expression and enabling audio-based stories to guide or inspire people that own characters to tell um, stories of their everyday activity. And, and that has been an evolution that has been dr- driven by all seeing what our users have able to use the product for. So I think there's a a debate that goes on about whether you want to build a walled garden experience and kind of have all of your users experience flick play and do their storytelling kind of inside that environment, or whether it's also open source, right? And you can allow people to create content and stories that they then share, you know, on other social platforms, right? How are you thinking about that? Are you thinking about flick play as the destination and and the gathering spot where you're building the social network and the graph and allowing people to do storytelling in that environment or is and is there a connectivity you know with other social platforms where people may already have their friends you know and their followers gathering yeah i think that you're delusional i mean it's not even tiktok focus on creating a guarded environment a big part of the early success of their hype moment was people posting on Instagram, TikTok, watermark videos, right? And a lot of the discovery of the the mass adoption of TikTok happened through you seeing what is this watermark that I see in these videos that are authentic and not pixel perfect, right? So I don't think that any environment should really focus on building walls around their content. I think that the reason why we migrated into the Web3 space and we find that such an authentic environment to build, not from only from a technological standpoint, but from an offering standpoint, is that people can create videos with their digital characters or assets on Flickplay and share it anywhere else. But anywhere, any other Web2 platform, content is one-dimensional. So there is no separation between the value that your character wins based on the content that is being created on it. Instead of flick play, content is multidimensional. So when you create a video, 
with your avatar, you're not only building your social graph through the video that you created, but your digital avatar has its own social graph that is being shaped by the traction and discoverability that you are adding through content creation. So that is proprietary to the Flickly platform. And we're constantly looking for ways to make it part of the blockchain footprint that we create on people's digital identity so that it can transcend the engagement of their users or the holders between their assets on Flickplay and other platforms. Because if a user takes a Flicky uh, from our platform that the, it was bought on the Flickplay platform and makes it their own character in the sandbox game and another ecosystem, and it goes viral there, if all the value of that character goes to the social graph of it of itself, then Flickplay will come profit from that uh, from the revenue of the secondaries for any transaction that happens inside or outside the platform so because our interest is so aligned to the value generation that creators are building for these characters from a revenue uh, generation standpoint we are actually incentivating Flickplay to be a destination, but not the only destination of engagement and interaction with the things that people own. That's so democratic. So the dream of ultimate interoperability, right, and kind of open walls and the idea that you can create characters on Flickplay and they can live anywhere and sort of be anywhere actually in the end at the end if you know if you follow an entirely open source kind of protocol like that and kind of philosophy that actually serves to kind of build and elevate the flick play community um you know which is a great which is a great sort of perspective to have and and honestly you know i think interoperability you know of web3 assets is going to be a big challenge you know that needs to get solved for example, like with the sandbox, we we have we have. I mean, actually, the stand our standards are pretty similar. Obviously, because they're a digital world, there are more, uh, I would say, constraints or or technical requirements for these assets to exist in their platform. But anyone that buys a Snoop Doggy in the sandbox, if they connect their wallet to Flickplay, they can interact with it on Flickplay. As a matter of fact. Next week, next Monday, we're releasing a new technical pipeline that if you connect your blockchain wallet, all your 2D NFTs on Flickplay are going to be automatically usable, means that you can open it in your AR camera, you can interact with them. And we're building that same robust technical pipeline for 3D assets so that because Flickplay is not IP aesthetic constraint, you can have a pixel perfect or a voxel asset and as long as these are game ready or follow some sort of like traditional uh, 3d asset standards which are becoming more and more typical people will be able to migrate their their assets into the ecosystem now rigging and all these different other layers of the experience are things that we're con constantly working on so that we can make more seamless but i do think that 
we're not far from seeing more and more platforms take the same approach and being able to create a more open, open-ended environment of engagement between the things that people own and, and how they can find different ways of interacting with them. Yeah. I mean, that's just going to improve utility, I think, for everyone. So that's really exciting. So I'll be able to connect my wallet and all of my NFTs that I really honestly don't do much with, exactly. you know, other than share them and look at them. I can take them out in the world. I can create content with them by placing them via the, via AR, kind of like into the physical world. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's like incredibly exciting. So like, what's the big vision for the future? Like, like, where are we going to be in 10 years and what will Flick Play look like then? Yeah, we want to become the leading commerce and experience layer for digital assets in the real world. So whenever we, in five years, if you ever think about, about buying something digital in a physical location, we want you to open Flick Play and be Flickplay, the destination and the discovery platform for you to purchase digital products that are connected to the real world, but also the place where you are able to engage them as long as it connects to the real world. So there are major, major releases that will happen in June with Apple announcements of wearables. Like we are getting to a point in time that where there will be a seamless connection between your iPhone and, and, and wearables, right? So we want to become the platform that create a seamless experience between the digital and physical world. You've always been, as I was saying, like a bit ahead of the curve technology-wise. Do you feel like the world has caught up with you or is that something that you're worried about you know that you're still you're still a few years too early for what consumers are actually ready for i think that the digital covid was an incredible accelerator of digital experiences during covid most people in silicon valley were talking about how audio was going to become the next wave of social and that didn't last long i think that if there is, I mean, we already see it everywhere. Like you need to be delusional to not realize what is happening around us. Kids prefer buying digital products than physical ones, right? So, so we start to see content, digital products or characters penetrate digital, all digital platforms or social platforms because kids want to build their identity through their digital avatars, not through themselves. They don't want to record themselves. We're dealing with one of the most insecure generations in the history of humanity, right? So I do believe that the whole the whole world is moving toward a point in play, a point in time and place where our digital identities, how we represent ourselves and how we're able through convey our feelings and emotions through a secondary character will become a way of channeling uh, our own insecurities or uh, and our own desires of connectivity with others. Now, that comes with responsibility. And that's why for me, after being in working at the intersection of VR and AR for the last 10 years, I think that when we hear people talking about the metaverse as something that is, as an experience that is con- 
constantly or continuously decontextualized from the real world is scary because I do believe that with any major technology change, it comes with a major responsibility of doing good for the next generation of consumer and and the adoption that there will be around those products. And I do believe that we cannot uh, block what is happening, but how we connect digital experiences to the real world to not disconnect humans from what make us humans will be uh, the best approach towards getting where we are ultimately getting, whether we like it or not. I think that's so important what you just said. I think like many people, I've been really concerned about mental health problems that we're seeing, you know, with our teens. And I think that, you know, the irony is that it feels like social media can make us feel more connected and closer to each other. But in many cases, it has the opposite effect because the connections people are making aren't genuine and they're connecting with, you know, the manufactured images of their peers, right? Which as you you were saying, kind of gets in the way of like real true human connection and that we, you know, as technologists have a responsibility to think about these things and to figure out how to weave in that real true human connection into this digital world. And I think that's something honestly that you do so beautifully and your background as an architect you know, probably really helps you do that because, you know, you come at this challenge of designing digital experiences from the perspective of really understanding the physical world. Yeah. Wow. I think like humans are at the center of anything that we do and whether we take them into, whether we take into account the positive and negative or, or the knowns and the unknowns unknowns of the behaviors that we are incentivating. I think it's about time that we start taking responsibility for them because there is enough history that tells us how, what can go well and what can go fundamentally wrong. Yeah. Great. Well, let's wrap with a speed round. This has been a great conversation. And for anyone who doesn't know, I'm just going to tell you to go to the app store and download Flick Play. And I'm sure Purina will, will let you know at the end where else you can reach her, but let's do the speed round. So I'm always looking for new things to read and listen to. What's a book you're reading or a podcast you're enjoying right now? I mean, I'm reading, I'm listening for, I think like the 10th time Amp It Up. I love that book. From the chairman of Snowflake. I think that it's such a great book for any founder. Oh, that's a great one. And I haven't read it yet. I'm I'm looking forward to that. Okay. I know that you've lived in a bunch of different places. So if you could live anywhere in the world for one year, where would it be? At some point I say I say that if I was 30 and I didn't have any major commitment, I would move to Shanghai for a year. But okay, that's unexpected. I'm overcommitted, so. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I'm not sure that's in your future, but I love that idea. Yes, okay. I, I, I you're I you're you're a busy founder and CEO. What's your favorite productivity hack? I mean, it's not a very healthy one, but it does work. So whenever I know that I need to do a lot of things in a day and the day is not enough, 4 p.m. I learned that if Coffee kicks in after 20 minutes that you consume it. So 4 or 5 p.m., I drink like a very thick coffee, 
take a 20 minute power nap and that gets me going until 3 4 a.m with my brain at full capacity but it's my oh my gosh yeah I don't (laughs) yeah that would not be my strategy my like most productive hours are 6 a.m to 8 a.m but good Don't don't try that at home, but any entrepreneur there that needs a kick, it does work. <laughs> kids, kids, do not try this one at, at home. Okay, Purina, thank you so much. This has been an amazing conversation. Where can listeners find you? Obviously, follow me on FlickPlay. You can find us on the App Store. And if whenever I can, I'm on Twitter under Merino Purina. Awesome. Thanks so much, Purina. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us and hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you listening, you might also be interested to learn about Everywhere. We're a first-check pre-seed fund that does exactly that. We invest everywhere. We're a community of 500 founders and operators, and we've invested in over 250 companies around the globe. Find us at our website, everywhere.vc, on LinkedIn, and through our regular founder spotlights on Substack. Be sure to subscribe, and we'll catch you on the next episode.